Tracks Radio. Brunch Talk. With Olive. Good afternoon and welcome to The Branch Talk. I am Olive Najuma, your host, and I hope you have been keeping well. I was away last weekend, but you were in good hands with uh, Apollo Sarah. But now I'm back and with one of those conversations that touch many of our lives. Now, for some of us born and all raised in the late 80s, early 90s, the conversation around HIV AIDS is one we are very familiar with. Back in the day when a family lost a loved one, there were high chances that they had succumbed to HIV AIDS. Not that there weren't other ailments, but the scourge was at its highest at the time. Now, over the years, efforts have been made to prevent and even treat HIV AIDS. These efforts have been supported by funds from development partners like Global Fund for AIDS, TB and Malaria Global Fund for AIDS, Royal Danish Embassy, Danida, and many others. Today on The Branch Talk, we seek to understand where we as a country are standing as far as fighting HIV AIDS is concerned and what plans the government has to continue the fight against the scourge now that many development partners are starting to pull out. Joining me for brunch today is Dr. Daniel Biamukama, the head of HIV prevention at the Uganda AIDS Commission, an entity mandated to coordinate the entire HIV and AIDS response in the country. We'll be right back. Brunch Talk with Olive. Welcome back. My name is Olive Najuma and the show is The Branch Talk. And today we look into HIV AIDS, its prevalence, the efforts to fight it and where we are standing in regards to infection numbers and many more. And I'm joined by Dr. Daniel Viamukama. You're welcome to The Branch Talk, sir. Thank you. It's nice to have you here. Would you like to tell us more about yourself? You already said about <laughs> me. I'm Dr. Dan Biamkama. Yes. I work with the uh, Uganda AIDS Commission as the head of HIV prevention. Okay. So let's just jump right into it. And uh, we will start with the numbers. Where are we standing as far as infection rates are in Uganda? Thank you. We were making very good progress mm-hmm. in terms of reducing the number of new HIV infections. So for like the last 15 years, we have been consistently reducing the new HIV infections. But uh, we notice that between 2020 and 2021, we appear to have lost the momentum. In the year 2020, we registered 38,000 new HIV infections. But in 2021, we registered 54,000 new HIV infections. Whoa, that's quite a hike. So we went backwards. Mm. But uh, for us as a national HIV response, we are not surprised. Uh, we attributed that to the challenges uh, that were associated with the COVID-19 pandemic and the nature of the response. Mm. And uh, we believe, as you may be aware, that it's a national commitment to make AIDS history in Uganda by 2030. By 2030. So, so in spite of having gone backwards, appear to have really slackened a bit, we believe uh, now that the business is open, people are back to normal, uh, transport is open, the hospitals are functioning normally, um, implementing partners, community-based organizations are getting back to the community, taking the services to our people. We believe we shall get on track again so that by end of 2030, 
there is no any further HIV transmission in this country and we believe we can achieve it. Okay, so you mentioned the COVID-19 pandemic and some of the restrictions. Are you saying that uh, they contributed largely to the increase in infections? Absolutely. I may point out like uh, three main ways. The first one, we note that the highest new HIV infections now in age group, they occur among young women. The women between the age of 15 and 24. Mm. These are mostly women who are supposed to be at school. Yes. So we have discovered over time since we started the response that keeping the girl child in school is protective in itself. It keeps them away from the sharks. Um. So for two years, the young women were away from school in homes with their potential abusers and tormentors. So you can understand the kind of damage that created. Many of the young women became pregnant. Many of the young women uh, contracted HIV and they contribute to post the largest number of any age group of new HIV infections. So if there was no total lockdown and these girls were kept in school, keeping girls in school is one of the key national strategies of stopping HIV among young women. If they were kept in school, very few would have contracted HIV. But thank God now, the schools are fully open. The girls are back in school. And the government has put in place provisions for those who actually almost fell through the cracks. Those who got abused or were raped, became pregnant by accidents uh, during this lockdown to go back to school. Initially, the provisions were limited. But now all girls who gave birth during corona we know the challenging circumstances they found themselves in. So the government has put in place measures to make sure they are going to school. But secondly, we also noticed that during the corona lockdown, services were limited. The outreach health workers were not allowed to move door to door and distribute the prevention services we need. That's right. The services were mainly at the health facility. Where if people a person needed condom, Yes, they couldn't reach because there was a policeman on the way waiting to beat you for breaking the lockdown rules. Yes. Or even there was no means of transport. So that in itself created an environment that encouraged uh, continued HIV spread. And from the COVID pandemic, we ran one lesson that it is so easy to lose the gains we have already made. It's so easy to get back to full-blown HIV transmission like, and out of control. It's so easy to it go so back easy. to the early 90s, yes, late absolutely. 80s. Yes, absolutely. So that's why we call on people, all the people listening in, not to get complacent. It is so easy to lose the gains that we had made. It is so easy for AIDS uh, to get back on the number one list of the cause of death in this country. It's so easy to get so many people uh, infected with HIV once again. So we call on people not to get complacent. AIDS, HIV is still real. Don't get complacent because we can easily get back to having to, so to where, many we people, came from. where we came yeah. from. Yeah. Would you say that Ugandans still take HIV AIDS as seriously as they did before the advent of ARVs and drugs like PAPE and uh, PrEP? That's a good question. And it is something we need to address. We notice, number one, that for us to address uh, the HIV pandemic, it is not the hospitals alone. Even you, the media personalities, have a key role to play. You have a key role to play because you reach so many people. If I were to have rallies in the whole of Uganda, I would take so many years 
you will take one day to reach the number of people will take two years to reach or even more <laughs> so we are counting on the media personnel and what you say many people in the country do not read they depend on the media to know what is true or what is untrue and they take what we say as gospel truth so i want to take this chance to call upon the media keep the message about hiv in people's ears it is not true people have become complacent yes i have had people tell me hiv is now like malaria hiv is not like malaria i've even HIV, had people saying that you can take uh prep that is the pre-exposure prophylaxis I'll, like, i'll come to that okay hiv is not like malaria because number one hiv is not curable once you have hiv you will never uh, get, get back to malaria we can cure you secondly hiv requires lifelong medication and medication is not food the third option is that most of these drugs as you introduced are given to us for free they are donor given and most of the drugs our people living with hiv uh, the drugs they are taking are given to us from developing countries So it's a risk for somebody to say oh after all there's HIV medicine I can live in any way you I want there is no guarantee that this medicine will be there 10 years from the road that's right what if 10 years down the road the donors who have given us this medication find themselves in a conflict of their own in their countries and they can no longer afford to give us the help they give us we will be scrambling for ARVs here we'll go back how it were in the late 1990s when we started getting a few doses of ARVs. Imagine if Ukraine was one of the development Absolutely. partners Imagine and right if, now they have a war. Absolutely. There is a war in Ukraine, there's a war in Russia. I don't think they're giving out support like they used to give. No. They are the ones who need support now. Yes. So, people should not count on ARVs. ARVs are not food, but most of the ARVs that we are using in this country are a gift. that is not you cannot rely on a gift so we call upon our audience our fellow ugandans emphasize prevention emphasize prevention so that the limited resources we have can support those who are already uh, infected with hiv but don't don't casually add yourself to the statistics to be one of them so because of prep because of hiv treatment because of post exposure prophylaxis pep we see that people have become complacent he believes he can go without a condom and after he has gone he will run to hospital to take pep to take pep but uh, we don't have those drugs to give everybody who makes such uh, decisions really we cannot afford as i already said most of the drugs we have in the country are ordination so you can imagine if you are supporting a family somewhere in the village mm. you buy for them food they don't have money for food and then you find them you know throwing food around throwing food around that's true cooking 10 meals a day mm. unnecessary meals living maoro mm. it's a shame even so a here shame. in even if you live in the city and uh, the people in your house or your maid is throwing away food it would hurt you and i think that's how government absolutely. feels when people are complacent absolutely so the donors who give us this support are here in this country they have representatives so it's a shame to hear that for us we are saying okay we have arabs we don't have arabs there are arabs and some good samaritans there enabling us to get these arabs 
but we cannot go around boasting because of ARVs. How, how do you boast? The ARVs are for the 1.5 million people that Absolutely. are already infected. Yes. So let's stop at that. Don't add yourself to the 1.4 million people already infected because the future you do not know. That's true. I remember a time when Uganda was uploaded as the best in fighting HIV AIDS on the continent. How are we faring now? I think we became proud or something. <laughs> <laughs> so we so undid all the survivors. Absolutely. I recently went to a meeting and I found somebody from Ghana. Mm. So the presenter from Ghana presented a good model of how they are almost finishing HIV in Ghana. So I put up my hand and I asked him, how you do this? You're doing so well. He said, no, we learned this from Uganda. And I was Ugandan. I did not tell him that I'm Ugandan. I sat down. <laughs> so for them, they're doing what they learned from here. And yet. Very well. So the model of the HIV response, we call it the multisectoral. The recognition that HIV cannot be fought only from the hospitals was initiated here. And it has yes. been taken on the world over as the most effective model to know that it's not only the health workers who are going to end AIDS. It involves teachers in schools. It includes reverends in churches. It includes the media personnel, journalists on their airwaves and newspapers. It includes police officers and everybody else. And parents and at home. Absolutely. Yes. So that model was learned from Uganda. The world overran from Uganda. But uh, when we look at statistics, so for example, we had staged uh, a milestone between 2010 and 2020, we set a milestone the world over. Each country committed that they are going to reduce the number of new HIV infections by 75%. So I was amazed when I read reports and I found countries like DRC Congo, mm -hmm. they were beating us. Really? I actually, I actually laughed. Oh, wow. So I was like, I thought Congo was chaos. Was And that's so, what I thought. So I thought much. even to this day, they are still in chaos. Absolutely. So I was so shocked to find that countries like Congo were beating us. They are doing better than us. So Ugandans, uh, it looks like we put in momentum. Uh, when we are almost winning, then we, we, we start celebrating. And mm -hmm. then you hear young women saying they fear pregnancy. Than they HIV. don't fear HIV. It's better ARV. to cry in a Benz than... Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All that kind of relaxation comes in. But uh, we have learned from the COVID pandemic that it's not time to celebrate anything yet until we have zero new HIV infection. That's because true. as we have seen, it's so easy to move from 38,000 to 54,000 HIV infections in just one year by just change of circumstances. So let nobody take anything for granted. Uh, HIV is an incurable disease. It is an expensive disease uh, to treat. It requires lifelong commitment to treatment. Uh, you don't want to be one of the people who are having to endure that uncertainty of will we be having treatment 10 years from now would want you to if you're negative stay negative maintain everything that. To stay negative so that our brothers and sisters who are already hiv infected uh they don't have to scramble for medicine so that, yes we don't because the resources we have if we can maintain at uh, those numbers maybe we can afford to sustain those but if we keep on adding, the future can be uncertain. So we want to emphasize prevention. Keep the prevention, avoid 
uh, reckless decisions of uh, I can have uh, unprotected uh, intercourse and then run for PEP tomorrow morning. PEP is not 100% effective. Wow, you're listening to The Branch Talk. My name is Olive. I am your host every Saturday, 12 to 1 p.m. And what do we do on The Branch Talk? We have conversations about things that matter to us. Today, we are delving into health and we are talking about the HIV AIDS scourge in the country and, of course, the effects of development partners pulling out of the AIDS response in the country. I'll be right back. For now, listen to some good music. And we'll be right back with Dr. Daniel Biamukama. This is what music was created for. RX Radio. Brunch Talk. With Olive. Welcome back to The Branch Talk. My name is Olive Najuma. How are you doing? How are you spending your weekend? Well, I am having a conversation about HIV AIDS. Now, some of you think that HIV AIDS is a disease from the past, right? Most of you are more concerned about getting pregnancy. Other people think about cancer. Not that cancer is any less, but HIV also doesn't heal. And today we have decided to delve into into this discussion we've decided to delve into the topic that is HIV AIDS infections in the country and of course treatment I'm with a, a good doctor here Dr. Daniel Biamukama the head of HIV prevention from the Uganda AIDS Commission and before we went for the break the doctor said something that resonated with me he said we do not have enough resources to take care of everyone that gets HIV, especially if they are being complacent. And he said, if you are HIV negative, try to stay negative. Now, that hit home. (laughs) If I was watching uh, rugby, that would be a home run. But anyway, we are back. And uh, Dr. Daniel, I would like to get your attention to something I saw in uh, one of the local dailies. The State Minister for Labor Empowerment and Industrial Relations, Colonel Charles Engola Okelo, said the ministry has established a technical working team in prevention and control of HIV AIDS in places of work. Um, I would like you to tell us more about this and please highlight the areas where infections are recorded the most. Thank you. I think what the minister was referring to is uh, this Minister of Labor. This is the Minister of Gender, yes. Labor and Social Development. So the Minister of Gender, Labor and Social Development is one of the key ministries in the HIV fight outside the health sector. Yes. We have already agreed that uh, the fight against HIV involves every sector. Everybody in society has a role to play from parents, so the Minister of Gender, what they are talking about is that as a ministry, they put up a technical working group, a coordination structure to advise the ministry the opportunities. We call this mainstreaming HIV. So what mainstreaming HIV means, it means that every sector or every entity, an institution like this uh, station, you recognize that your staff have a risk to HIV infection. Because of the nature of their work, you're bringing in 10,000 people, I mean 1,000 people. Mm-hmm. The Ministry of Gender, I'm very sure it employs more than 1,000 people. 
in one building they are moving up our country up and down they, they are, spend eight hours of uh, each day with, they, together with, together they are on trips to up country supervision together they are leaving their spouses home That's that in itself creates risk mm. so you must first recognize that by bringing 1000 people together some of them married some are married some searching some actively searching <laughs> you're creating an environment that puts individuals at risk so you must address that risk by putting in place measures to address your staff secondly when these ministry officials move out supervise up country let's say they are engineers or they are labor officers going to supervise in kabalamaid to spend there a week they find there are other people who look at them who are also searching and or waiting to be searched something like that <laughs> that's so true so that puts them at risk because they have left their spouses at home and they have gone to kabalamaido for two weeks to work in kabalamaido to support kabalamaido district and these that, are adults these are adults some of them seeing and searching so they put the community they are working with at risk or the community puts them at risk so there are so many opportunities for the ministry staff or for the staff of this radio to participate to be helped to avoid hiv infection or to support those who are hiv infected to make sure they are not stigmatized mm-hmm. they are well supported to adhere their treatment and it takes preparation a technical committee that analyzes the issues in detail a minister of gender the temptation is to do other work other than health work but if you get uh, a specialized committee they would analyze the environment and see okay number one, we have our own staff living with hiv and all workplaces in uganda have staff living with hiv what do we need to do to make sure that our staff living with hiv are well supported to make sure they are on treatment and we don't lose hours because of sickness and that kind of thing and we are not losing our staff because of dying from hiv or aids so you put in place measures or secondly what can we do for our staff who are still hiv negative to make sure the risks the risk caused by the big men who come to our offices to look for services uh, with big money in the pockets they don't cause us risk mm. so we put in place measures for those who are hiv negative uh, at workplaces in the ministry and in every institution so a specialized technical working group like the minister was talking about derives thinks deeply beyond the routine work of the radio program like this one yes they are charged to think outside the box and say okay what can we do to help our staff who are living with hiv to live a better life what can we do to do our staff who are hiv negative to make sure they don't contract hiv what risks do our staff who are hiv negative uh, have by working in this institution the risks are so many there are so many people coming to the ministry with so much money looking for for help and they end up admiring the desk the officers they are found in the desk and the, it creates all kind of risks so the ministry or every institution must sit down and think of how to care for their staff and that taken working group was put in place to do that for that sector but it is supposed to be replicated in every sector including the ministry of justice and constitutional affairs it should replicate what was done in the ministry of gender have a technical working group mm. specifically for thinking about HIV in the Ministry of Gender. 
uh, including the Ministry of Fisheries and Agriculture and Fisheries, mm. it should have a similar. Basically, every technical. ministry, every ministry, every, every workplace, every workplace, yes, should have a specific technical group that thinks outside the box. If you are an institution that deals in mining, most of the staff are thinking about mining, mining and minerals. That's true. But you need a technical group set aside with a responsibility to think outside the box and say what are the opportunities for HIV transmission from conducting our business. And there are always very many. What are the opportunities for stopping these transmissions from occurring, from putting our staff at risk? The engineers who have moved from Kampara to go to Burisa to explore oil. You have left your spouse at home and then in Burisa, now when they discovered oil in Burisa, all six workers moved to Burisa. Now you have moved a team of engineers. They are at risk. But if you don't think about it, you'll end up losing your staff. So what the ministry was doing was um, doing a best practice that we're asking every institution in Uganda, every ministry, every workplace, put in place a committee that thinks outside the box, identifies the risks for your staff who are HIV negative and the opportunities to support your staff who are, who are HIV, HIV positive, positive so that you have staff who are living well and productive lives. And we expect this in every institution, every ministry, every. So that's what was happening in the Ministry of Gender. Okay. And we commend them for that. Okay. Now let's look into funding. I'm sure our listeners who have been tuned in since the program began are curious. We have registered successes in the fight against HIV. And like you said, these funds have been coming in from international development partners. First of all, why are development partners pulling out? Development partners are pulling out for various reasons. Yes. The first one is uh, you cannot breastfeed a child forever. <laughs> I agree. So, so was there like a timeline no, within which they had I'm to give us sure money? There have been firing warning shots. Okay. For quite some time, we have been having a discussion on how can we take on our responsibility. Mm. How can the country shoulder its responsibility? It's a responsibility of the government of Uganda to take care of the healthcare needs of its population. It's not the responsibility of America. So they were giving us emergency support. If somebody's house is burnt, you can house them in your house for some time. But that does not mean that they will live in your house and eat your food forever. So eventually they must go and uh, cut the trees and uh, make uh, their own house, rebuild the house. Mm -hmm. So, they have been supporting us for quite some time and we appreciate them for the support. If it was not for the support of the United States of America and other key development partners, I think there would have been a crisis here in this country. I agree. But early uh, in 2000, the program called the Presidential Emergency Support, uh, it's called PEFA, Presidential Emergency Fund for AIDS Relief started. And they could afford to buy for us the era visa that we need most. And that's why we no longer see people who are collapsing. For us who were there in the 1990s with our eyes already open seeing what was happening, we moved in buses with our relatives collapsing. The site we don't want to see again. So we appreciate. But the donors cannot 
be here forever. As a, a simple common sense phenomena. You cannot support a person. You, you cannot breastfeed feed someone forever. forever. So they have been warning us, preparing us. But I also think secondary, we have been struggling. I was reading in the newspapers that the government of Uganda is fighting. We have attained a middle income status. So if you are busy just thumping, saying we are very rich now, why don't you take uh, on take your bills? Take care of your home affairs. Oh, yes, why don't you take on your bills? So we are proud that we are making progress as a country. The economy has been expanding. And we would want to be acknowledged as a middle income status. So that comes with the responsibility. If you are richer and your business is something, then take on your bills. That's true. That is another equation. But uh, honestly, I think we are richer. And uh, with the oil discoveries in the Arabic region, we're expecting to become more richer. And the discovery of gold and... <laughs> All those things. <laughs> so, so the it donors, makes sense. The donors are like, we have been preparing you to see, can you identify the sources of um, money for you to foot the bills, take on your responsibility for your people? And the government of Uganda has been making steps, really. We must commend the government of Uganda. Uh, as much as most of the HIV response in the country has been uh, shouldered by donors. But uh, I can give you an example. I've told you the key prevention program is keeping girls in school. What has the government of Uganda done? It has put universal secondary education in place. It has put universal primary education in place. So these are some of the things that they never talk about. By putting universal primary education in place, it ensures that every girl child at least will complete P7. By putting universal secondary education in place, it ensures that at least every girl will finish complete senior four. So we notice that the girls who have attained at least senior four, when we look at our statistics, is that most of the people who are contracting HIV are the least educated. People who have not attained P7, who have not attained senior four. But by the time once girls have attained senior four, most of them are able to read and understand listen to a radio program and understand. And understand. And they are a bit assertive. Mm. They cannot be run over by a clever man. They who, know their they rights know, to they a know degree. Their they are really know. They have some built uh, confidence. So that is some of the programs. Oh, actually, as far as programs go, even the poverty alleviation programs Absolutely. that government has put Absolutely. in place are aimed at helping people out of that Absolutely. mindset. And yes. uh, in the long run, it helps in the fight Absolutely. against AIDS. Thank you. You raise a very important point. Poverty eradication programs initiatives. Mm. No. They're part yeah. of the government initiatives to make sure people are empowered. We realize that most of the people contracting HIV are the least empowered. They have little negotiation power. So they take what is available, whether it's a man, because they don't have what to eat tonight, they will sleep with whoever comes. But the government programs really help us resolve that. So we notice that the amount of money, even going directly into buying Aravis, the contribution of government, keeps on increasing. And with good planning with our donor partners, by the time they exit, I'm sure our government, we shall have also started mining the oil. We shall be able to stand on our two feet. And manage. But I must warn that when the government takes over, then... ARVs won't be free. ARVs, no, they'll be free. But they'll be as available as amoxicillin. Sometimes you can find amoxicillin is not there in the hospital. Ah. So we don't want to find so many people crumbling for the little ARVs that the government procured this year, like happens for other drugs. 
The best thing for each one of us to do is to make sure we don't add ourselves to the list of those who need ARVs so that the little resources that the government may mobilize serve our brothers and sisters who are living with HIV sufficiently. There is no scramble for ARVs like we scramble for most of the other Panadol. Panadol and all that kind of stuff. This is The Branch Talk. My name is Olive and I can't thank you enough for being part of this wonderful show. We do this every Saturday at 12 o'clock to 1 p.m. And you are the real MVP. Continue listening to The Branch Talk. We are going to take a short break and when we come back, we'll be wrapping up with Dr. Daniel Biamukama from the Uganda AIDS Commission. I'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, RX Radio. Branch Talk with Olive. It is September. How are you? What are your plans for this new month? I read something on someone's status a few days ago where they were saying that, yes, September has begun. The year has about four months to end, but it's not too late for you to achieve some of the goals you had set at the beginning of the year. Now, I know we like to keep ourselves in a certain box and you say, oh, if I didn't do it from January, then I don't have to even start because I've already lost time. But I'm here to tell you that it's never too late to start a new routine of your life it's never too late for you to start living responsibly it's never too late for you to not have sex with anyone without knowing their hiv status or to wear a condom it's never too late for you to do any of these things this is the branch talk my name is olive and i am hanging out with dr daniel biamukama from the uganda aids commission and the good doctors told us so many good things about hiv not that HIV is good, but he has told us so many ways through which we can protect ourselves, through which we can live a normal life. And that begins with you being responsible, taking care of your life, uh, making sure that you're not negligent with your life because, oh, we have ARVs or we have PEP. You should not expose yourself to HIV. You should not knowingly expose yourself to HIV AIDS because under the pretext that uh, government has the drugs. No, we don't. The drugs we have are for the 1.4 million Ugandans that are already sick. You don't want to join that line. Do you really? Welcome back, Dr. Daniel. (laughs) I'm starting to sound like a a motivational speaker, but in the health sector. I am passionate about the talk about HIV AIDS because as many Ugandans have lost so much uh, to the disease. I've lost family. I've lost people that I really, really loved. And I wouldn't want anyone to do that. We have young children and it would be sad, like you said, if we undo everything that we've done over the years and then we start seeing orphans all over again because their parents were complacent, were negligent, and now they are sick. Anyway, coming back to the funding in the HIV response, earlier you said that development partners are starting to pull out because they have been holding our hand for quite some time and now they feel that we have reached a level where we can actually walk, start walking, maybe running on our own. 
And the big question here is, what strategies are there to raise resources for HIV-AIDS responses following the dwindling of development partners? And uh, of course, given that HIV-AIDS financing projections for 2024 to 25 by the National Strategic Plan show a total need of $4.1 billion, which is about 15.6 trillion shillings currently, and uh, with Uganda AIDS Commission having commitments of 10.6 trillion shillings, leaving a funding gap of 4.9 trillion shillings. Thank you. I do not think that our donors will just run away one day. Mm. We are in a good discussion with our donors. Mm. So they will move out in a way that does not overwhelm the government. Okay. As I said earlier, we are seeing the government increasing direct funding for programs like the antiretroviral treatment. So each year it is capable of adding a little and doing better. But uh, that aside, so direct government coming in to increase funding for ARVs, uh, for programs like circumcision, we are trying to do as much as possible to ensure that uh, all the programs, especially the health sector programs, are absorbed by the routine health sector. Even before HIV came, we are circumcising. So a program like circumcision should go back stop being a vertical program. It becomes a routine health sector service that people can access free. We have come up with three innovations we are counting on. The first one is the national health insurance. So the government, the Ministry of Health is currently in discussions and consultations to make sure we have a health insurance scheme. Health insurance scheme means people who can are paying a little money. Little money, but when you pull resources, that is where the magic is. So pay a little money so that you can access the services you need, a broad range of services. The risk is covered by some people who don't fall sick like me. I pay insurance every year, but I never fall sick. Oh, you're lucky. <laughs> so, so many people don't fall sick. So yes. the few who fall sick or the many, they are recovered by those few others who don't fall who don't sick. Fall that sick. is one way. So we are counting that once the ministry has finalized arrangement for insurance, that is affordable to most of the people, it will go away in cautioning, making sure there's enough resources, even if the donors go away, to make sure people can afford the RVs. The second one is um, we have the $1 initiative. The private sector has come in. We are proud of the private sector for not being uh, an onlooker. And the private sector has always been uh, has always been coming forth. You remember when there was a COVID pandemic? Yes. The private sector raised uh, significant resources to save the country from the crisis we expected. And I personally am grateful to the private sector. But even through uh, the private sector, uh, there is what we call the $1 initiative. The private sector, through the $1 initiative, mobilizing workers within the private sector, they are contributing a certain sum of money which is going to be a pool, a resource, a security resource. Mm. Such that uh, when Uganda takes over, for example, yes, and then there is a stock out of where is like sometimes there are stock outs of Panado, mm-hmm. this resource can come in and bridge the gap immediately. So that because once you're on Eravis, it is not like having a stock out of Panado. You must be on Eravis. You them must to be, be. So there is they're building a resource which you are still betting on the best way to use. But they are building a resource purely to support HIV treatment so that in the long term, if there are any shocks, they can easily be cushioned 
and our people living with HIV don't get in a catastrophic situation because once they get off treatment, that is another secret people must know. Our people who are living with HIV, because they are on treatment, the amount of HIV transmission in the community is reduced. That's true. A person who is taking their ARV very well, they don't transmit HIV. So we would want to make sure our people living with HIV, our brothers and sisters, are guaranteed a sexual uh, treatment for their own health because without them, they are our brothers. We want them to stay there. That's true. But it's also good for the community. They will not transmit HIV to others. So a sexual flow of ARVs is key. So that is why I come in with the other option. The government is debating what we call the AIDS trust fund. Yes, I was about to ask you about so, that trust fund. It's a difficult debate. It mm -hmm. started quite long ago and um, it's difficult to be put aside. But I think donors are helping us in guiding and shaping the trust fund. So it is going to put aside a fund specifically to support the procurement of ARVs to make sure that there is a fund set aside that in case as the donors move away, we don't get into those shocks of stockouts um, as the system absorbs. Because in the long run, we would want the system to absorb HIV treatment, just like treatment for malaria, just like treatment for syphilis, or just like treatment for hypertension. But anybody who has a relative who has a hypertension knows that sometimes you go to the hospital and there are no drugs. That's true. So, But that is not acceptable for somebody who has HIV because it has long consequences for himself and for his loved ones. And there is also the drugs being there, but when they are highly expensive. I was speaking to a doctor who is in charge of the sickle cell clinic in Mulago National Referral Hospital, and he was saying that uh, the meds, they have a chip for everyone that has sickle cell. So if yeah. that were to be HIV, yeah. it would even be worse. Yeah, the drugs, the HIV treatment drugs are expensive. They cannot be rebought by most individuals living with HIV. That's why the government comes in. Uh, it has taken this responsibility. And that's why I trust, of course, that the donors will not pull out recklessly to cause a shock, a crisis in the country. But they will pull out. And fortunately, the government is putting in place measures. I've told you the private sector is putting a place, a fund, a cushion. The government is putting a fund, the aid trust fund, a cushion. And as it absorbs some of these responsibilities, any unexpected shocks, they will be absorbed by these funds. Mm. And with the insurance scheme coming in, it is, uh, we shall raise more money to make sure that our people living with HIV are well supported. So... In the end, it comes to one, that we already have so many people living with HIV in Uganda that we are even not able to afford to care for them currently. So as we prepare to handle the responsibility of caring for all these people, our people, our brothers and sisters, our parents living with HIV, it's not enough. The resources are not enough. You would not want to add yourself to, to the number line. of people who are living with HIV you'll cause a scramble for ARVs. You'll cause a scramble for the limited resources. And you don't want to find yourself in a situation where you go and they tell you, okay, our ARVs are not there today. You have to come back next month. You that cannot not, spend 30 days without taking your drugs. You would become anxious. If there were stockouts now, you must have heard recently we had a problem with the movement of third-line antiretroviral drugs. The people on third line antiretroviral drugs justifiably became anxious and they came to the Minister of Health to demonstrate 
So you don't want to find yourself really in that uncertainty. So would want the limited resources the government has to really be a marked for our brothers and sisters who are already infected with HIV. For the rest of us, let's do whatever we can to make sure we don't cross over and cause a scramble. There will be a shortage. The resources are never enough. Do not add yourself to the pressure. Do whatever you can do to stay safe, to stay free from HIV. Abstain from sex if you are not married or have one faithful partner whose HIV status you know or use a condom. We have other services now like circumcision. If you're a man, you must circumcise. We have other services like PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis. If you are living a life where really you cannot avoid having multiple sexual partners, if you came to hospital and you told us your story, we would give you PrEP to make sure you don't contract HIV. We have services like PEP for especially young women who are being violated left and right. Uh, if you are violated and a young woman and the person who has violated you, you don't know their HIV status, run to hospital. We can give you PEP to make sure that the risk you're exposed to does not result in you contracting HIV. But most important of all, the best leverage that is going to help us uh, stop any further HIV transmission is supporting our relatives and friends who are already on HIV treatment. Ensure that we support them. We kill stigma. It's not stigmatized. HIV is not a shameful disease. Most of the people who have HIV now did nothing wrong. They were innocent young women who got married to older men, older that men were who were already infected. They're young men who are born parents who had HIV. That's true. So HIV is not a shameful disease. So let's stop shaming people who have HIV. If we stop the stigma, our people who have HIV, our relatives will take their medication well and they will no longer transmit HIV to other people. And we shall realize our dream of ending AIDS, ending a new HIV infection by 2030. Dr. Daniel Biamukama is the head of HIV prevention at the Uganda AIDS Commission. I like that he is very passionate about this subject. And who better than him to actually tell us to abstain, to live responsibly? The man deals with the disease. The man knows what it means for people to be sick. I'm sure you've done research. You've written papers about the same. And I'm so happy that you agreed to speak with us here on the Branch Talk. This has been the Branch Talk. My name is Olive Najuma and I will still re-echo what the good doctor said. Live responsibly. Get yourself tested. Know the status of your sexual partner. Don't sleep with multiple sex partners if you can, but if you can't, then try your best to protect yourself. Condoms are there. Some of them are free. All in all, let's live responsibly. Let's be responsible for our lives, for the lives of our relatives. Let's not leave our children orphans like it was the case in the early 90s. My name is Olive and I will catch you again next weekend. Until then, have a good time.